Great question. I'm glad you asked that. I'll start with the foods to remove and avoid, and then I'll add the ones to include because the ones to remove and avoid are very common. Today, you'll learn what Ben Azadi did to lose 80 pounds and what foods to eat and not to eat to improve your cellular health, your levels of inflammation, and your metabolic health. And while his YouTube channel is called Keto Camp, you'll be surprised to hear that no, it's actually not all about keto. You're listening to The Best You Podcast, where you'll learn the healthy habits you need to look and feel like your best you. My name is Nick Carrier, and I'm an entrepreneur and fitness trainer who has coached 512 people and counting through my program, The 10-Week Transformation. The 10WT helps individuals to avoid feeling like a suboptimal version of themselves and take full control of their health. My mission is to discover the healthy habits you and I need to be the most energetic and best version of ourselves. Today's interview is with Ben Azadi. In 2008, Ben was an obese person who went through a personal health transformation and lost 80 pounds. Ever since, he's been on a mission to help 1 billion people live a healthier lifestyle. Ben is the author of four best-selling books, including his latest, Keto Flex. Ben has been the go-to source for intermittent fasting and the ketogenic diet since 2013. By the end of this episode, you're going to know exactly what foods you need to improve your cellular health, what metrics you should look at to assess your own metabolic health, and why he thinks that this one mindset shift was the key to him losing 80 pounds. For now, it's time to get closer to your best you with Ben Azadi. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Ben Azadi. And Ben, people who listen to the Best You Podcast are very curious about nutrition. They're very curious about all things health and fitness, but super curious about nutrition. And and these are people who aren't necessarily concerned with being bodybuilders and not necessarily concerned with being ultra marathoners, but they just want to find habits that set themselves up for success to be the most energetic and healthiest version of themselves now and habits that they can stick to down the road. And I know that your expertise is going to really educate them and provide them with with education and tools to start to implement down the road. But I think the best way to start is to diving into your story of, of how you lost 80 pounds, because I know that, there, again, there's a lot of people listening who have weight loss goals, whether that's five pounds, 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 80 pounds, whatever it is. There's plenty of people who on this who have weight loss goals, but other fitness goals in general. And I know that some of the things that you probably did throughout your journey to lose 80 pounds are going to be helpful, Those both for those people who have big weight loss goals or just any fitness goals in general. So talk to us a little bit about that story, where you were at when you maybe like first really started to make the shifts that you needed to make and like, I'm sure there was probably multiple attempts. What was different about maybe the last one and the habits that you did in the last one that allowed it to really like be a lifestyle moving forward? Yeah, great question. Great, great way to start. You know, I'll just answer that last part real quick. Um, what changed for it to actually be a permanent result was I actually committed to it versus uh, being interested in getting healthy and losing the weight. And there is a big difference between being committed to something and being interested in something, as you know. Yeah. Well, keep diving into that because I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see how you would describe the difference and like really what that mental shift was and maybe even like the way that you talked about it to yourself or to others and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. You know, I used to say things like, you know, I'm mostly committed. I'm 80% committed. I'm 70% good. 
And the truth is you, you, you cannot be 75% committed. You can't even be 99% committed. You could only be 100% committed. It's like either you're pregnant or you're not. There's nothing in between. So in the past, it was just using the word try a lot. I'll try this. And I really believe that word is a kind of a bad word. It's a failure with honor, if you will. It kind of sets you up to give up when things get tough. But when you commit, big difference. I know Ken Blanchard once said, when you're, there's a difference between interest and commitment. When you're interested in something, you do it until it gets tough and then you give up because of whatever excuse. When you're committed, do whatever it takes and you accept nothing except results. So that was my first step. I committed to actually changing my life. But the reason I committed wasn't because I was like, I am so committed. I read this book. I committed because I was desperate. I was depressed. I was suicidal. I was looking for ways to end my life. This is back in 2008 when I weighed 250 pounds. So physically obese, mentally obese, looking for ways to just end the suffering. And the only reason I didn't go through with it was I kept thinking about my mother. I didn't want to do that to her and devastate my mom. So it forced me to figure things out. And, and it started with responsibility. Uh, and that goes hand in hand with commitment. Like once you take ownership and responsibility, you stop blaming other people. I, I stop blaming other people. I stop blaming my slow genetics. I stop blaming my enabling family members. And I said, okay, I am the only person responsible for my results. I am the only person responsible for my future results. And I'm the reason why I have these poor results. It's all these decisions I made day after day that compounded over time. So I started to understand that if I made these bad decisions over time, over the years that compounded into this unhappy, unhealthy life, I could make small little decisions in the opposite direction and compound that into my favor. So that's where I started to move my body. That was the first step for me, move my body. Uh, then I got into cycling and running and, and working out and all that, but moving my body, eating real food, staying away from packaged foods and eating out all the time. And it was tough for sure. When you, I believe when you embark on a big goal, it's going to tend to be tough. I, I always say it might even suck. You know, you're sore from a workout. It kind of sucks sometimes. You go to a party and they offer you beer and pizza and chips and you say no. Uh, and they might make fun of you. That was my case. It might suck. But I, I do have a formula for success, Nick. And I, I believe this is my formula. And if your audience wants to adopt it, cool. Uh, it is suck, suck, success. Okay. You just embrace <clears throat> the suck. Keep pushing forward. And that's what I did. I, I was so committed to the goal that I didn't let a speed bump, if you will, turn into a stop sign. I recognize every speed bump and, and uh, obstacle as an opportunity to learn something about myself and, and keep pushing forward. So nine months after I made that decision to take ownership and to take a committed action response to my circumstances, I lost 80 pounds in nine months. I went from 250 pounds to 170 pounds, 34% body fat to as low as 6% body fat. Yeah, I achieved a physical six pack, which is great and amazing, but a mental six pack is what uh, I believe is the most important thing. And that was the start of my journey in the health and wellness space uh, 15 years ago. And I've learned a lot of things along the way and unlearned a lot of things and relearned a lot of things. So that was the starting point though. Nice. Well, let's, let's, let's keep diving in further into your journey because I think it'll lead us in other good directions from a nutritional kind of knowledge standpoint. What were, were you following a were you following keto to do that? Were you following a specific diet plan? Like what are, what were the, I guess, things that you were tracking from a nutrition standpoint and then fitness, if you would like to get into that, um, but specifically nutrition, at least, what were the things that you were tracking on a weekly basis or daily basis that allowed you to really see progress? The way that I went about it wouldn't be the way that I would uh, teach it 
this day. I, I learned a lot of things about myself. So I'll, I'll share some of the things that I, that worked for me back then that still, I believe, would work for your audience today. And that would be moving your body. There was something about, not, not to burn calories, uh, more so than that, moving my body, there was something about getting my body in motion that gave me energy and a sense of confidence and that discipline transferred to other areas of my life. So when I showed up for a workout and I, I worked out because I said I was going to work out, that habit transferred into other uh, habits of discipline in my life. And there was just a feel good feeling of, of working out and moving my body. And I really believe in that, just being active. What I did do in the past was not keto. Um, it wasn't until 2014 that I discovered keto and I started to adopt it. I was really strict with like tracking every single thing going into my mouth, even a piece of gum, uh, tracking how many calories I was burning, how much uh, calories I was consuming, uh, all the macros and all that. And yes, it did help in the beginning and it got me going, but I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think it's the main focus these days of what we should be focusing on. I think there's a lot more things that are important because although I lost all the weight, I still didn't feel that healthy. I was one of those fit people that still had some digestive issues and brain fog, et cetera. So it took a lot of unlearning of that and letting go of, of tracking every single thing going into my mouth to more of a lifestyle, cellular health, inflammation focus. And that I believe is the main focus that, that people should focus on. It's lifestyle versus diet. It's detaching from having to track everything. Now, for some people, that approach might be good in the beginning. It might even work for you longer than that. But I've noticed in general with my community, we don't have we don't focus on calories. We focus more on metabolic health and, and inflammation and hormones. Awesome. Well, let's let's dive right into that stuff. I I love it because that's what people on here what want people who are listening want to hear. Some people, very few, are listening to this podcast might track their calories. If they do it, they might do it for a short period of time. But they know they want the more the lifestyle approach. So. You'd mentioned cellular health, inflammation, metabolic health as being the main focuses when it comes to what you're putting in your body with nutrition. Talk to us a little bit about maybe each of those individually. Obviously, you could do hours and hours of education on each of those individually, but give us just kind of like the main overview. When you talk about cellular health, what kind of things are you thinking about and how are you relating that back to what you're putting into your body? And then kind of same thing from inflammation and same thing about metabolic health, if you could for us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when we talk about cellular health, it's really all about that. It's about how our body communicates. We have this amazing orchestra within the body, which we have hormones and oxygen and nutrients and different processes taking place every second and the responsibility, the primary responsibility of these communication signals are to communicate with your cells. So your cells hear the message, hear the signal, and then produce a job. Like for example, hormones. There's over 600 hormones in the body, but we know the most popular ones out there, thyroid hormone, testosterone, human growth hormone, insulin. These are all signals sent to your cells. And we have about 50 to 70 trillion cells. And every cell have these receptor sites that are integrated into them. And the communication that are sent to the cells are picked up by these receptor sites. And it tells the cells to produce energy, it tells the mitochondria to create ATP and produce energy, it tells your body to burn fat and feel good. We're designed to thrive. I really believe that God created us to thrive, not just to survive and, and end up with disease and sickness. So when this communication is happening efficiently, you're lean, you're energized, you feel good. You definitely have the best day ever because you feel like a rock star. But when there's too much cellular inflammation blocking this communication, that's when symptoms occur. When that cell is inflamed, 
that communication w won't happen as efficiently. So it's like you, Nick, uh, yelling at me uh, to listen to you for, uh, you want me to do something, but I can't hear you because my, I have my fingers in my ears, right? Or I hit the mute button here on Zoom. That communication is not happening. Then there's going to be frustration and symptoms. So we want to find everything we can do to lower cell membrane inflammation. And as a side effect, now you start to lose weight. Now you start to have more energy. Now your symptoms go away. We're not chasing the symptoms because the symptoms are not the problem. They are a result of the problem. The symptoms are actually a gift from the innate intelligence to show you your body is a body's check engine light. So finding ways to lower cell membrane inflammation, I believe is the ultimate goal for anybody who wants to be healthy and lose weight or whatever you're looking to do with your health. That is the number one goal right there, lowering your inflammation. Great. Let's, let's stay, let's stay right there. Then cell membrane inflammation. What are some foods that we should be eating that help to heal inflamed cells? Great question. I'm glad you asked that. I'll start with the foods to remove and avoid, and then I'll add the yes. ones to include because the ones to remove and avoid are very common. I'll start with a set of um, really inflammatory fats. These are oils that are consumed all over the place. They're called vegetable oils, in other words, seed oils. And the problem with these oils is the processing of them. They become adultered, high heat. They use chemicals to extract them and bottle them and put it in your supermarket and kitchen. So these are oils that are going to create a lot of cell membrane inflammation. And some experts argue that they create more inflammation than smoking and sugar. And they're just so inflammatory. It's estimated that they stick around in your body, creating inflammation. The half-life is about 680 days, meaning if you remove these oils today, about two years later, they're still in your body creating inflammation. So the list of them, will inc I'll include them now for your audience, canola oil, soybean oil, cottonseed oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil, peanut oil, rice bran oil, and grapeseed oil. These are the inflammatory oils that we want to remove or limit as much as possible. What we want to do is swap them and switch them for healthy fats that are stable, that your cell membrane loves. And these are saturated fats and monounsaturated fats like olive oil, butter, ghee, avocado oil, coconut oil, beef tallow. That simple swap right there, just doing that, you're going to notice incredible differences with that alone. Uh, I have a second thing on top of that, but I'm going to pause and see if you had a follow-up there. Yeah. Talk to us about why fats are the first thing that we talk about when it comes to cellular membrane health or cellular membrane inflammation. Is, is that because that the cell membrane is made up in large part of fats? And so we need to make sure that it's made up of the right fats rather than the wrong fats? You nailed it. That's exactly why. The cell membrane is mostly fats. It's saturated fat, protein, and cholesterol, no carbs. And when you consume these bad fats, you end up building your cells of these bad fats. And as I mentioned, they stick around for a very long time. So when I interviewed uh, Dr. Kate Shanahan, who's a New York Times bestselling author, she was actually the nutritionist for the Los Angeles Lakers when Kobe Bryant used to play. She was Kobe's nutritionist, and she's a great friend of mine. I said, Dr. Kate, what's worse for your health? Smoking cigarettes every day, eating processed sugar every day, or eating these vegetable oils every day? And she laughed and she said, that's so easy. It's the vegetable oils. The cigarette wow. smoke, You know, of course, that's not good for you, but it's not bioaccumulating. The sugar spike will go back down after a few hours. You could exercise and burn it off, but these oils stick around for years. So that is the reason, and they're everywhere. They're at the Whole Foods supermarket. They're at your restaurants. So that's why I started with the oils. Yeah, well, and I think to add on top of that, it's one of those things where oftentimes the 
the amount of or the how bad the negative side effect is is determined by how frequently the bad thing is consumed, right? And if th these things are consumed all the time, day after day after day, then they're likely to cause bad side effects. I'm assuming that everybody's body potentially probably processes these vegetable and seed oils differently. Some people might are lucky and maybe actually do have some sort of genetic thing where it doesn't maybe inflame their cells as much where some people it does. And then maybe some people, you know, their inflamed cells leads to low energy while some people leads to not being able to burn fat. Is, is everybody slightly different with regards to the negative side effects that they experience because of these vegetable and seed oils? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's always a, a biochemical difference with every single human being. And essentially it's, we have those 50 to 70 trillion cells that all have a DNA in, in them. And that's kind of like a stress. Each cell is like a stress bucket. And some people are born into this world with really amazing genes, a great family history. And when they're born into this world, their stress bucket is very low. Mm -hmm. Others might have a stress bucket that's half filled or even high because of bad genes. So when they consume these seed oils, they notice it right away. For others, although it's still harming them, it's taking longer to fill that stress bucket. So later on, when that bucket overflows, they'll get the symptoms, but not as fast as somebody else who has a higher stress bucket. Mm, I like the way that you you described that. Okay, so we said don't consume vegetable and seed oils. I think you had more things about don't consume, and then we'll get to what you should consume. Yeah, I mean, the next one is, you know, if you want to just focus on longevity and anti-aging and cellular health, for sure you want to control your glucose and insulin spikes. I love keto and a variation of keto to do that. I'm very non-dogmatic about keto. I believe going in and out of ketosis versus sustainable ketosis. But when you have high levels of glucose, you are going to have high levels of insulin. And diabetes is everywhere. Uh, it's almost it's estimated that almost 60% of American adults are either diabetic or pre-diabetic. And recent studies came out showing that 93% of American adults are metabolically unhealthy, 93%. So only seven of us, 7% of us are actually healthy according to these studies. And that's because of high glucose and insulin spikes from high processed carbohydrates and eating too frequently. Over time, even though your blood sugars and your A1C might not change in a year, in five years, it is crank your body's cranking out insulin, creating insulin resistance. And on average, it takes 14 years until the A1C changes before that person's diagnosed with type 2 diabetes or pre-diabetes. Meanwhile, they're developing this year after year. So check your fasting insulin. It's a blood test. That's a good gauge to see if you're headed towards the direction of pre-diabetes and diabetes, and you could do something about it before it's diagnosed. It's a blood test, and you want to see that result in, in single digits. Two to five is, is really good. If it's 10 to 20, you have signs of insulin resistance. If it's over 20, you are insulin resistant. And hey, your your blood sugars might look fine. A1C might look fine, even though the insulin is high. Mm, okay, great. So staying away from unhealthy processed carbs and high sugary content foods for sure. Love it. Uh, and, and the frequency of them, like the people the frequency, are grazing yeah. and eating them frequently. Every time we do that, you spike glucose and insulin. So yeah, first step. Swap the oil, second step, control those glucose and insulin spikes by eating more protein and fat, less carbs, and uh, avoiding too much snacking. Great. I love it. All right, other things we should not eat or go into things that we should? Um, in terms of uh, what we should not, it could be a combination of both. So I would say um, another list, another item here would be uh, pasteurized cow dairy as a thing to avoid or limit. The reason I say that, 
there's a study that shows 75% of the adult population in the world cannot process pasteurized cow dairy properly, leading to some sort of inflammatory response. So that's a lot of uh, the population, 75%. So some alternatives to that would be raw dairy. I'm, I'm good with grass-fed raw dairy, if you could get that. Or sheep and goat dairy would be a much better option. So that would be a, another swap for your audience. So what is... when? I'm not even actually sure. What does the word pasteurized mean? Like, what is the what do they do to it for it to be called pasteurized? They use high uh, heat. To, uh, they use high temperatures to eliminate any bacteria to make it clean because some cows are unhealthy and unsick because they typically use unhealthy cows to get milk. So it just wipes out everything: good guys, bad guys, good bacteria, bad bacteria. So it's they're using high heat to clean it, and then it's that means pasteurized. Uh, so raw dairy. Uh, doesn't use heat, but you want if you're going to get raw dairy, it needs to be from a, obviously a clean source. So the pasteurization does get rid of the bad stuff, and it works, but it also gets rid of the good stuff. That's the problem. Mm, gotcha. Awesome. All right. So I feel like we've covered. Well, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna move on to this. Did you have anything else on that topic around like cellular health and cellular membrane inflammation that you feel like? needs to be addressed or do you feel like we've got that covered enough for the most part? Yeah, one, one more thing. Um, okay. There's also a, another component here and the component is more mental than anything else. And I think it's a missing piece. I lecture about this all the time. It's a missing piece to health and longevity. So I'm speaking in two weeks at a, at a biohacking Congress here in Miami. And part of my presentation is on this. It's, it's the three missing pieces to health and longevity. And the third piece is what I'm going to share here. And that is mindset component. This is a lot of the stuff you talk about, Nick, because I believe 95% of our results is from the mindset. 5% will be strategy. And I gave you some good strategy right now, but we're missing the mindset piece. So when we think about our thoughts, there's about we have about 50 to 60,000 thoughts per day. That's what they estimate. And they also estimate that 90% of our thoughts are the same thoughts from yesterday. And then 85% of those thoughts are negative thoughts, what Zig Ziglar used to call stinking thinking. And I've been saying, if you're thinking is thinking, your dreams are shrinking. And Dr. Bruce Lipton, who's a world-renowned cell biologist, has proven that your cells can alter your DNA, meaning your thoughts are, are, are a frequency that have the ability to penetrate your DNA nucleus and tell your cells and tell your DNA to perform a specific job. So if that thought if, is a negative thought, a hateful thought, a resentful thought, an angry thought, the communication sent to the DNA is to produce inflammatory proteins, which create cell inflammation and shorten your telomeres, which is not good. But if it's a loving thought, a grateful thought, an abundant thought, a happy thought, same signal sent, but now the process that occurs is an anti-inflammatory protein. Um, the telomeres are protected, which protects your DNA. So if we have 60,000 thoughts per day, that means we have 60,000 opportunities every day to put the body in an anti-inflammatory healing state. Don't negate it. It is not woo-woo. It's probably the most important tip that I just shared. Oh, I, I could not agree more. I could not agree more. I do talk a lot about, you know, changing, changing your perspective, changing your, your shifting your mindset off of how you see a particular thing, because it, because there is no doubt that your thoughts, like you said, penetrate your body, penetrate your DNA, penetrate your cells and have a massively, um, have a massive impact on your actual biology. I think that people who just think that that's woo-woo nowadays aren't actually listening to the right people or seeing what kind of results can actually take place when people do shift their thoughts. I mean, like, 
100%. If you are happier, your biology is going to result in being healthier. So I, I love that you added that on there. Um, I, I want to kind of ask you about the word me- metabolically healthy and metabolically unhealthy gets thrown around a lot. Like you, you talked about how it's estimated that maybe 93% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy right now. What does that actually, what does that actually mean? Like, are there specific metrics that qualify this person? Okay. Now that their metric gets to this number, now they're metabolically unhealthy. Does that have to do with their glucose and insulin, their fasting insulin? Like what exactly does metabolically unhealthy mean? Like, is that a specific categorization that people can kind of like fall under and track to see where they're at? Yeah, it does. It does. So the the markers that they look at to categorize somebody who's healthy versus somebody who's not healthy is fasting glucose is one of them. And we want that between 70 and 90 milligrams per deciliters. A1C, which is looking at the three-month average of your glucose, we want that 5.2 or below. It's a percentage. They're looking at HDL, which is a, a lipoprotein that's protective towards cardiovascular disease. We want that above 5050. So if it's below that, they're categorizing that as something uh, bad. Uh, triglycerides, which is another inflammatory marker. You want that below 100. If it's above, they're putting you in the category of being unhealthy. Blood pressure, of course, you want to make sure you're in the optimal ranges for blood pressure. They look at BMI um, as well. They did look at BMI. I'm not a big advocate of looking at BMI. I kind of, I think there's, if you're very muscular, you could still have a big BMI and still be healthy, but that would say you're obese. So I wouldn't use that as a metric. A body fat percentage would be a good one. Uh, you know, males, I would say 14 to 17% total body fat is a really good range. Women, 17% to 22% is a really good range. So though, and then if, if you're on medications or not on medications, they looked at, at that as well. I mean, ideally we don't want to be on any medication. So those are a few of the metrics that they looked at. And those are the ones that I would suggest you get tested as well. Mm, I like it. I like it. Appreciate you laying that out um, very, uh, very clearly for everybody. Talk to us a little bit about, I know you talk a lot about metabolic flexibility and you have mentioned already in this interview about how you don't necessarily think keto is a lifestyle and you are always big on stressing that keto, ketosis is a metabolic process rather than a lifestyle. Um, So talk to us a little bit about metabolic flexibility. I think real quickly, just for everybody to define what it means and then talk about it through the context of how you can live into a metabolically flexible life. Yes. So when we when I reference those 93% of Americans that are unhealthy, I, I say they're in a keto deficiency. They could really mm-hmm. use, as you said, this metabolic process to get their body back to function that the way it was designed to function. There is nothing new about keto. I know that it's new to some people or, or nuanced, which is true. It's nuanced, but it's not new. Ketosis is not a diet. Keto is not a diet. It's a metabolic process. And it has been around for as long as humans have existed. Every single one of our ancestors used this cool, this tool called ketosis. And it's actually a survival mechanism. It's very beneficial in short spurts, but it's not something we want to stay in forever. Like our ancestors didn't stay in ketosis forever. When they had an opportunity to eat carbs, they ate it. I call it keto flexing where they flexed out and then they went back in. So their environment determined that, right? Babies that are born into this world and are breastfed are actually in and out of a state of ketosis because breast milk has saturated fat and cholesterol, and it helps the development of that baby's brain, which is mostly fat. There is glucose and sugar in breast milk, but the baby is very efficient at using it, that it naturally goes in and out of ketosis. So you can see that we are born into this world designed to burn fat 
and sugar and go back and forth. That is metabolic flexibility. Now we have these 93% of people who have lost the ability to use keto, lost the ability to burn fat. They're stuck burning sugar. That's going to age you fast. It's going to lead to all those metabolic conditions I spoke about. So they're in a keto deficiency. We want to get them back into ketosis, teach them to burn fat, and then flex in and out. So my definition of metabolic flexibility is having healthy mitochondria that have the ability to burn sugar and glucose when it needs to, and then burn fat and ketones when it needs to, and go back and forth effortlessly without any hiccups. Mm. And is it basically, you know, you're not metabolically flexible if you, those other metrics that you mentioned before, if you're not in the right spot with those? For sure. But here's an easy test that your audience could do without even getting blood work. Although I do recommend getting blood work, but if you wanted to test it out today, here's your test. Skip a meal and see how you feel. <laughs> That's your test. If you skip lunch today, cause you heard me on the podcast here with Nick and you're irritable, you're angry, your blood sugars are dropping fast and you're just not fun to be around. That is a sign you are metabolically inflexible. But if you skip that meal and you actually notice you're more energized, you feel really good, that's a good sign that you're actually metabolically flexible. So skip a meal and see how you feel. Mm. The, la the last, uh, second to last question here, this is something I was not planning on asking before. So I know there are certain people who if they work out in the morning, they, they need some, they actually need to eat something because their blood sugar is naturally low. I think some people just have different levels of, of, uh, blood sugar and they feel like they need something. Like for me, I can go a long time. I can go a long time in the morning without eating anything and do a high intensity workout and still be fine. But I, I know that there's plenty of people that I know closely that are seemingly healthy people that just, really need something in the morning or else they feel like lightheaded or anything. Is that, are a lot of people just different that way from uh, like genetically or just their body operates differently? Talk to us a little bit about people who maybe are on the side of things where they actually do. Is there, is there something that they need to be concerned of and try to switch or just talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I see that all the time. And I, I've worked with a lot of people who have that issue. They are metabolically inflexible. I mean, there's no beating around the bush. They are sugar burners. They're only burning sugar. They've taught their body to burn sugar. So when they skip a meal and they try to burn fat or fast, it is ugly. They feel awful. Their blood sugars drop. They don't have the ability to tap into fat and produce ketones. So I don't recommend fasting for them in the beginning. Mm. I recommend getting fat adapted first, which might take seven days or 28 days, depending on the person. That means you slowly lower your carbohydrates every day. I'm not saying going to do keto day one. I'm saying slowly lower your carbs and at the same time, increase fat and protein and electrolytes and make that switch every day. So maybe it's a 10% decrease in carbs every day, 10% increase in protein and fat, getting enough electrolytes and do that long enough for your total carbohydrate intake to be under 50 grams total per day by let's say day seven. And by then you should be fat adapted. Then when you pair fasting and skip breakfast and go work out, you feel like Nick and I, you crush your workout, you're burning fat. It, it might take you 14 days and that's fine or 21 days to do that switch. But that is the first step to get fat adapted. And then you want to start experimenting with intermittent fasting. That's, that's the way it works really well. Mm. I love it. I love it. Well, Ben, this has been great, man. I know my audience is going to absolutely love this one and they're taking notes. I love how you spelled out 
um, super specific things with cellular health, what to avoid, what to eat, uh, things about what makes you metabolically unhealthy versus healthy. And I know people were taking notes on those metrics and numbers and stuff like that. Uh, I know people are going to want to learn more as well. So you guys make sure you go follow him on Instagram at the Ben Azadi. Uh, and we'll have all that stuff linked up in the show notes. But what, what are other good places that people should go learn more about you and uh, and dive more into your stuff? Yeah, thank you so much, Nick, for having me on your podcast. I'm a big fan of your work and all the cool things you're doing. And I really enjoyed the conversation today. Uh, like you mentioned, Instagram at the Benazadi. We also have a great YouTube channel with uh, uh, over 2,000 videos on there by now. Um, so it's Keto Camp, uh, Camp with a K on YouTube. It is not only about keto. We talk a lot more, but the channel is called Keto Camp on YouTube. Awesome. Awesome. Great stuff. We all need to make sure you go check that stuff out to learn more about how to improve your metabolic health, your cellular health, and, and all that kind of stuff as well. But last question here, Ben, is like we've talked, we've talked about, and it's all about mindset. It's all about lifestyle. It's all about doing things that you can sustain over the long haul. If there were... This is kind of a putting you a little bit of a in a pigeonhole position here. If there were only three healthy habits that you were allowed to do for the rest of your life, what are those three healthy habits that you would decide to choose? Both because you know you felt like they were sustainable, you maybe somewhat enjoyed them, and they were going to make the biggest impact with your longevity and your health span and stuff like that. So what are those three healthy habits that you would decide to do? It's a very difficult question to answer. <laughs> and I, I love it. I love it. I'll answer it. Number one would be to live on purpose with your purpose, your unique purpose, your highest values. Find out what is important to you. And that is unique to you. Nobody has your highest values. The Greek call, The Greeks call it your telos, your chief aim. And then live on purpose with your purpose. Uh, I believe the obesity crisis we have is not because of what people are eating. It's because what's eating them. They're not living on purpose with their purpose and they're filling it with these bad behaviors. Uh, there's a quote from Robert Heinlein who said, in the absence of clearly defined goals, we become strangely loyal to performing daily trivia until ultimately we become enslaved by it. Daily trivia is eating unhealthy food, doing drugs, playing video games, uh, hanging out with people that are gossiping. So when you're clearing your goals, all that goes away. That's the first thing. And uh, one more thing to add to that. Studies show, there's a study that came out in the late 80s. I know it's an older study, but a book called Recovering the Soul by Dr. Larry Dossey, medical doctor. In that book, they had a study that showed 85% of heart attacks take place in, the, in America Monday morning between 8 and 9 a.m. in the morning. What do they have in common? They're going to jobs they hate, right? Don't be that person. So live on purpose with your purpose, number one. Number two, kind of goes hand in hand with this, but take vitamin G every day. My favorite supplement, anti-inflammatory healing, fat loss, fat burning. Vitamin G is, is not something you buy on Amazon or at the vitamin shop. It's the practice of gratitude, feeling mm -hmm. the gratitude, appreciate what you appreciate, appreciate. So experiencing gratitude, having a gratitude practice, number two. And number three, I'm going to give you all free tips here. Number three is spend more time outside. Get more sunshine. The sun is not bad for you. The sun is important for your cells, for inflammation, for the mitochondria. So get morning sunrise. Get sunset sun, uh, sun exposure. Go outside as much as possible. Spend time with Mother Nature and uh, take your shoes off and ground. Like Use Mother Nature to heal your body as much as possible. It's a free resource we have right outside. So those are the free three tips. 
live on purpose with your purpose, get vitamin G and get outside more often. I love it. I love it. When you said get vitamin G, I was like, I don't think I've, I don't know if I know that one, <laughs> but no, that's great. That's great. I love it. I love how you set it up too. Yeah. I write down three things that I think that I'm thankful for every single day. So I love it, man. Well, so much great stuff here today, Ben. It was, it was an, a blast having you on. I know everybody really enjoyed it. I know we only dove surface level and there's so many, so much more that people can go learn um, from diving into your content. So I'm excited for them to do that as well. So y'all make sure you go follow him on Instagram at the Ben Azadi and go follow him on YouTube at Keto Camp. But other than that, that's all we got today, Ben. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate you, Nick. Thank you so much. Be sure to check out the show notes below or at nickcarrier.com slash podcast. I have posted a free resource of Ben's. It's a seed oil allergy card. It's something that you can actually print out and show to servers at restaurants to ensure that they don't cook your food in nasty seed oils and damage your metabolic health. And if you'd like to try out the virtual 10-week transformation one-week free trial, then go to nickcarrier.com slash free trial. Y'all, Ben had some great tips today about shifting from a mindset of interested to committed. Staying away from vegetable and seed oils like canola oil and rapeseed oil. Consuming healthy fats like avocado and salmon. The different metrics to look at to determine your level of metabolic health, like your hemoglobin A1C, your fasting insulin, your HDL cholesterol, and triglycerides. And I love how he finished with live on purpose with your purpose. Share this episode with a friend or family member who would enjoy it and continue every single day getting closer and closer to your best you.